Hi, I'm Iman. And I'm Carla. And you're listening to Screensaver, a podcast about all things pop culture, including TV, movies, books, and sports. On today's episode, we'll be belatedly recapping our 2016 Comic-Con experience and sharing our hot takes on some of the movie trailers that were released during the convention. After this, we'll end the episode the way we always do, with some screensaver signal boosts. Alright, so let's dive in. Comic-Con happened in San Diego a few weeks ago, and despite us recording this a little late, we wanted to take some time to reflect on it. Long-time listeners of this podcast, i.e. mom, will know that Carla and I have had a long-standing relationship with Comic-Con, and over the years, we've had some incredible experiences in there. This year, like so many years before, we attended again. Carla, how would you describe the experience? It was good. I mean, come on, it's Comic-Con, and Comic-Con is always good. But I think this year was a little bit different because... We probably had what most would consider to be a very typical or standard Comic-Con experience. By that, I mean it was a lot more relaxed and low-key. We didn't have extravagant costumes. We only went on one day. And most shocking to us both, for the first time ever, we didn't get into Hall H. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've been going to Comic-Con, what, nine... Yeah, Maybe ten years, nine, ten years now, and this is probably one of the first times I haven't haven't gotten in. <laughs> so we recorded an episode on Comic Con last year where we described in great detail what Comic Con is all about, the different types of things you can do there, and one of the things we talked about was how Hall H wouldn't make or break your experience. Iman, do you still stand by that statement now that we know what it feels like to be left out of that huge part of the Comic-Con experience? I think we mentioned this while we were there. This podcast stands as evidence of this. You and I don't live in the same city anymore, so I kind of saw it as just, I guess, what normal people would, which would be, oh, cool, I get to hang out with Carla for the day. (laughs) I I would agree with that. I still had fun. I mean, for me, I think I just treated it more like a day of nerdy shopping and dressing up. I mean, this was one of the first years that we coordinated outfits. We were both in Mr. Robot costumes. So that was a lot of fun for me. I think it was a different but equal Comic-Con experience for me. But what about you? What did you think? I, I mean, I feel like If you think you can manage to get in, it's a fun experience. But like you said, at the same time, I think it's safe to stand by our original statement. I was thinking back on our Hall H experience last year and looked through the list of all the panels we were there for. Movies like Pan, Batman vs. Superman, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Patient Zero... None, none of which we saw. Yeah, exactly. I was, <laughs> I was saying most of the panels themselves were pretty forgettable. And to top it all off, of all the movies that we were introduced to, we only saw one. Do you remember which one that was? Uh, Mad Max was the year before. Um, no. <laughs> it plays into the the whole panels are kind of forgettable thing. We we were there for the man from Uncle. Oh. Yeah. That was last year? Yeah, it was. 
oh wow it feels like it was so much longer ago yeah yeah that i mean that was probably one of the least hyped panels it was one of the ones they like tucked in between others to get people to leave and that was yeah the only one we saw yeah exactly yeah so anyway i feel like as an overall takeaway i think it's safe to say as Comic-Con continues to grow as a huge commercial enterprise, the panels become less of an opportunity for fans to directly connect with film and television and culture creators. Yeah, I mean, my stance on Hall H, the reason why I had originally said, yeah, I mean, unless you really need to ask some burning question to a panelist, it's kind of skippable because it's available in a few weeks. This year, I felt like it was available immediately afterwards, so it's almost like it's just treated like a holiday, where it's, oh, all these Comic-Con trailers. Yeah, exactly. Alright, so let's get into our trailer discussion. As we mentioned in our intro, we've seen a bunch of the upcoming movie trailers that were shared at Comic-Con during Saturday's Hall H panels, and we're not going to play the clips during this recording because that would take way too much time, but we'll share the links on our Facebook and do you one better. Carla and I took notes, which is our fancy way of saying that we texted our minute-by-minute impressions while watching these trailers. So if you've seen them, cool, this will make total sense and be a funny commentary. If not, it'll be a hilarious game of telephone that marketers would probably hate us for. Again, the links are on our Facebook. Uh, Carla, why don't we start off with Doctor Strange? Sure. So Doctor Strange actually has a release date. It's going to be released in the fall of 2016, and it's starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Tilda Swinton, and Rachel McAdams, among others. And for people who don't know, this is a movie about a brilliant but arrogant and conceited surgeon who gets a new lease on life when a sorcerer takes him under her wing and trains him to defend the world against evil. Okay, I'm really sorry. I kind of interrupted <laughs> your your plot description, but his name is actually Doctor Strange. I know. I was so shocked by this. Okay. Okay, so here were my other notes while I was watching the trailer. Number 1, visually this doesn't look like a Marvel movie. It looks like it could be a Christopher Nolan film and all the visual effects showing a collapsing or folding city look like they're straight out of Inception. Uh, also, I wrote down that Benedict Cumberbatch's character seems like an offshoot of his Sherlock Holmes character. Number three, I wrote down, Ugh, I really don't want to see Tilda Swinton play what appears to be an Asian character. And finally, his costume mm-hmm. is weird. So, big question, will I see it? Probably not. Iman, what did you think of Doctor Strange? Uh, I mean, I was just watching this. I I still can't get over the fact that his name is Doctor Strange. Uh, I, it's interestingly cast. I was really surprised to see Rachel McAdams is going to be in this movie. I did have an opportunity to see this movie very recently, though. And I skipped. I skipped out on it. I... I got to the doors of the screening and just felt in my gut, I don't want to watch this. Oh my god. <laughs> so so I bailed and odds are I'm probably not going to watch this. Yeah, I mean, if you had a chance to watch it for free, you're probably not going to pay for it. Very true. Okay. So let's move on to the second trailer we saw. 
This was for Kong Skull Island, which is set to release in the spring of next year. And it's starring Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston, and John Goodman. And the plot summary for this is an action-adventure story centered on King Kong's origins. Pretty straightforward. (laughs) In terms of the trailer, here are my notes. Number one, do we really need another King Kong movie? No. Number two, I'm out on Tom Hiddleston. Yes. (laughs) Number three... Oh, wait, Samuel L. Jackson and John Goodman are in it. This kind of makes me want to watch it more. (laughs) And then finally, I wrote, Okay, John Goodman may have turned this whole thing around for me as an action-adventure war movie. This could be fun. My only fear is that it falls under the pitfalls of a movie like Jurassic World, but hopefully that won't happen. So will I see it? For this one, I put probably yes. Iman, what did you think? Yeah, so I just watched the trailer for this, and I think our sentiments are more or less the same. I was a little more thrown by the casting in this. As you said, John Goodman is in it, but he's playing almost like the the old guy in Jurassic Park, where it's kind of like the environmentalist sort of, which is not what I imagined John Goodman to be. I'd much sooner see him with like a cigar hanging out of his lips. And huh. uh, so I thought that was interesting casting. Tom Hiddleston, I'm just out on. And I really liked him before. And I'm just going to say it's probably the whole Taylor Swift thing. But uh, Brie Larson, also, it's weird to see her in this because... It seems like this would be like a Blake Lively role. Hmm. And she's it in it. It does feel like a step they cho- back. They chose the wrong BL. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel like a step back for someone who just won the Oscar for Best Actress in a Movie. This was probably filmed back when she was slumming it, and now they just get the boost of having an Oscar winning actress in there. So. My will I see it is maybe like a 40%. If you want to see it, I'd see it with you. But as I admitted to you before we started recording, I actually liked Peter Jackson's King Kong. I'm probably the only person. (laughs) Mind you, I was like a 13-year-old girl and I thought Adrian Brody was cute. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of like on the fence about this one. You said this comes out next spring? Yes. All right. I'll let it so percolate. you're more of a Peter Jackson loyalist. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, the third trailer I saw was for Wonder Woman, which comes out in the summer of next year. And it's, of course, starring Gal Gadot and Chris Pine. And this movie is about an Amazonian princess who leaves her island home to explore the world and becomes the greatest of its heroes. Okay, so in terms of my notes, I wrote, the opening scene looks like a Little Mermaid reenactment. (laughs) It really did. Wait, what what um, about two. it looked like a Little Mermaid reenactment? Oh, so Chris Pine is laying on the beach, and mm. Wonder Woman is kind of hovering over him as he wakes up. Yes, it seems as though he's washed ashore. Yes. A la Prince Eric. Yes. Okay. What are the rest of your thoughts? Uh, I also wrote down that this movie doesn't feel as dark as a lot of the other DC movies, Mm. both in terms of the tone and the cinematography. 
which is a good thing yeah overall and uh finally i wrote while i caught myself rolling my eyes at all the quote overly feminist for feminism's sake bits it's cool that we're finally seeing a superhero movie with a female lead so let's hope they don't ruin it with bad writing which is a huge possibility yeah but in terms of this trailer judging this trailer on the trailer alone it was a pretty good one so will i see it for this one i put maybe yes hmm. yeah i kind of felt similarly i think the i agree first off with the whole super feminist storyline i mean this is wonder woman and that's awesome the fact that this is gonna sound bad but I wonder, the fact that she is kind of, like, visiting society from the outside, she has, an like, a pretty thick accent, she's coming in and telling women, like, no, you guys are essentially slaves, she says that to a secretary or something in the trailer. Mm-hmm. I think I would have much preferred an origin story, and this might just be a criticism on Wonder Woman, but I think it would have been cooler to see a woman in that world rise up and become a superhero instead of just having some god from outside come in and oh you mean in her own element yeah yeah the fact that she's an amazonian princess that just kind of comes and visits and enlightens these mortals yes these mere mortals i mean this is me just complaining about superhero movies in general (laughs) but yeah i definitely i also agree on your note about how this seems like it'll be lighter i mean Mm -hmm. we we just Chris Pine has a lot to do with that. Was that was exactly what I was about to say. He kind of gives me a Chris Evans vibe in this trailer where I was kind of like, oh, he kind of feels Captain America-y. He's, totally. he's very chivalrous, even though she makes it clear that she she don't need no man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he seems he seems like a precious cinnamon roll in this movie. And it's terrible that I'm excited about the guy in Wonder Woman, but whatever. I'm probably going to see it. Yep. Yeah, let's hope it's good. Uh, yeah. Okay, so the next three you took notes on. So Yes, we split this up three and three. And uh, my first was King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Uh, this is starring Charlie Hunnam and Jude Law. <laughs> You'll know I am laughing in a minute. Um, and it's directed by Guy Ritchie. Has a little bit of a longer plot description. Basically, the young Arthur runs the back passages of Landonium with his crew, not knowing his royal lineage, until he grabs Excalibur. Instantly confronted by the sword's influence, Arthur is forced to make up his mind. He joins the rebellion and a shadowy young woman named Guinevere. He must learn to understand the magic weapon, deal with his demons, and unite the people to defeat the dictator Vortigern, the man who murdered his parents and stole his crown to become king. Wow, IMDb loves to run on sentences. That was from IMDb, a very poorly written thing that I probably should have read before reading it aloud to you guys. But as someone that took a class on Arthurian literature, I am kind of feeling, wow, this is a stretch. Uh, Oh, how so? Well, a shadowy young woman named Guinevere? Like, I don't know, are they making her a witch? That should be Morgana if it's a witch. Like, I mean, okay, I'm not a scholar. I took one class, but I should probably just dive into the trailer. I texted you my notes on this. Uh, First, I did mention this. Charlie Hunnam is the star. Uh, Thought one, 
Charlie Hunnam, damn, I don't have to watch this trailer. I'm in. <laughs> I did have to watch it. Uh, so number two, a minute or so into it, I wrote, literally just remembered slash had to remind myself that this is King Arthur, not Robin Hood. Why are they making him such a Han Solo? I wrote this in reaction to the fact that Charlie Hunnam plays King Arthur with such... I don't... He, he's kind of like this little ruffian. And I know that, like, in Arthurian literature, like, maybe... Or if, in some Arthurian legends, you kind of see him as this, like... This underdog. But this took underdog and exaggerated it to the point of being more pirate than knight. Yes, I agree. When I was watching the trailer, I was a little confused as to what time period it took place in. It reminded me so much of... Sherlock Holmes, the movies with uh, uh, Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that. Even the aesthetics, everything about it, nothing felt like a medieval period piece. Well, weren't those movies also directed by Guy Ritchie? I think so, and it seems like he used every single one of the same filters on his camera or whatever. I just, yeah. Everything from the cinematography to the way it was shot and the, as my note said, the way that they were characterizing this young Arthur as this almost like little British chav that's just like, nah, I don't want to do it. Like, I don't know. I was out. It felt way too Robin Hood to me. Like, I think they were just confused about the plot themselves. They're as confused as whoever wrote the IMDb description was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Number three, I just wrote, oh my god, Jude Law's costume. So you get a, f a few frames of Jude Law in this ridiculous black gown that looks so maleficent to me. Oh my god. It was terrible. I don't... I feel like they were going for... What's it? Uh, Gladiator? Smile for me now, brother. Joaquin Phoenix. They were going for Joaquin Phoenix vibe. And they just dove straight into Disney villain, <laughs> but in the flesh. It was, oh my god. I'm not doing it justice. This is one where I will tell people to hate watch. Um, I said that, yeah, I also wrote that the, the visual effects were too gritty for my taste. Yeah, it felt very Gangs of New York. It felt Gangs of New York. It felt Sherlock Holmes. It felt David Yates' Harry Potter movies. I just, I was, I wasn't in on it. But my final note raises uh, the movie in my esteem because it just says, final takeaway, colon, so much shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> they milk the Charlie Hunnam presence in this, in this movie uh, big time. So am I going to see it? No. Like, just no. <laughs> Maybe it'll be amazing and I'll be eating my words, but I'm saying it right now. I'm giving it no maybes. I'm just no. On to the next one. Justice League. Okay. All right. Justice League. Uh, another DC movie. Um, also yeah. featuring Wonder Woman. So this movie uh, is starring Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, and Ray Fisher. All right, let me give a little plot talk first. Fueled by his restored faith in humanity, Bruce Wayne enlists the help of his newfound ally, Diana Prince, to face an even greater enemy. Together, Batman and Wonder Woman work quickly to find and recruit a team of metahumans to stand against this newly awakened threat. 
that is the plot to every Avengers movie. That is the plot to basically every superhero movie that's come out. Speaking of the trailer, I didn't really get any of that from the trailer. It was a bunch of drawn-out jokes, a bunch of jump cuts. It was basically just the movie on Fast Forward where you see a bunch of introductions for other characters. But, alright, I'll just I'll give my thoughts on it. Uh, I, I started with my thoughts early. I described the thumbnail for the trailers, which is uh, <laughs> the freeze frame before you hit play on YouTube. It was Jason Momoa, so I just wrote, good thumbnail, want Momoa. <laughs> Uh, and then second, it starts with Jason Momoa, so they know to give the people what they want. Uh, and I, this is a note, Jason Momoa is going to be playing Aquaman in this. And immediately I was wondering, A, why is he not, he, he never smiles. He always plays this badass character, but here it almost looked like they were in Alaska or something. Yeah. It seemed like it was in really- his eye color. Yeah, he he looked like this Alaskan mountain man, which I wasn't really expecting for Aquaman. Who I, I mean, I was imagining him more almost like a mermaid, like in the Bahamas or something. Yeah, in the Bahamas, <laughs> like or at least a little bit more of a Khal Drogo vibe than Duck yeah, Dynasty. And his eyes were this glass color that looked so much like Arya Stark when she was blind. Yeah. I was like, Aquaman, why are you in Alaska with cataracts? <laughs> what is this? Anyway, uh, yeah, so th- the trailer features him prominently. A lot of shots of him just kind of like slow motion drinking alcohol, throwing the bottle because he's badass and doesn't care about the environment. There was a there was a song playing in the background that I instantly recognized as a White Stripes song, but it was bothering me because I couldn't remember which White Stripes song. So my my next note is what's that White Stripes song? And then I put okay, this really long flash interaction is funny ish. There was this extended joke between Batman who's trying to recruit a young guy, the Flash, and says played by Ezra Miller. Played by Ezra Miller. And it almost felt like they were playing an entire scene from the movie, which was funny-ish, but it's kind of like, it's funny light. Part of me wonders if that's the funniest scene in the movie and they're just trying to, like, punch it up. Anyway, uh, my next my next note was, seriously, which song is this? Oh, wait, it's Icky Thump's Guitar Ink. That's what it is. Period. Then my next note was, Ben Affleck looks sad. <laughs> yes, I agree. This entire trailer is just Batman kind of going and knocking on people's doors like a like a vacuum salesman, like trying to get people to join his club and nobody wants to join and he just looked really sad. So it, Oh my god. In terms of a pump up trailer, if it weren't playing a song I loved in the background, I think it just would have been weird. So will I watch it? I just wrote thirty percent. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty generous. I know, actually. I just thought, well, reading that, I'm like, no, it's probably it's probably closer to, like, 10. Well, it does feel like you spent most of the trailer just figuring out what song that was. And it's funny because when I was watching the trailer, I was completely distracted by the fact that Ezra Miller looks so much like Nathan Fielder from Nathan For You. Oh, my God. <laughs> No one is going to get this joke except for us. Yes. Suffice it to say, he looks a lot like a comedian from Comedy Central and 
was I'll a- put a side by side picture on Twitter. Oh my gosh, yes, do. I mean, the fact that we're talking more about Jason Momoa not caring about the environment, we're talking about Nathan for you, we're talking about the white stripes. I think it's safe to say this was a kind of boring trailer. Like, it was hitting all the beats and checking all the boxes that a superhero movie trailer needs, but it didn't really tell me anything about the movie. It did not get me as hype as even the Batman versus Superman trailer had gotten me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which I didn't end up seeing, but, I mean, this one just felt like... This movie feels like it's banking entirely on the fact that it's uniting these iconic characters, and the plot just seems totally lacking. So, anyway, one that... Moving on to something that I kind of am keeping up with, whether I want to or not. The last trailer... Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Alright, before I give my notes on this movie, here's a little plot description. It's about the adventures of writer-slash-magizoologist Newt Scamander in New York's secret community of witches and wizards, taking place 70 years before Harry Potter reads Newt Scamander's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them book in school. The basic premise of the movie seems to be that... Newt Scamander, played by Eddie Redmayne, has a case full of magic creatures, and some of them get loose. Like the... Is it the P. Diddy song? Finna get loose? Yes. Well, monsters get loose. Creatures get loose. Yeah. (laughs) Creatures get loose. Uh, Alright, so this trailer starts out with uh, a zoom-in shot of the back of Colin Farrell's head. It's a good head. It's a great head. I love that haircut. And this t- this movie does take place in the 20s, so it's it's era appropriate, but it's that cool crop down the side, longer on top. All right, I'll get past one second of this trailer. Going a little further into it, I don't really get the plot. Like, how is he not the villain if he's released a ton of dangerous, magical creatures into New York? That's true. Like, that seems like something that, like, Harry would be upset at Voldemort for doing. Like, oh, he released this, like, terrible creature. And in the trailer, you hear Newt Scamander saying things like, oh, I need to protect my creatures from the most dangerous creatures of all, humans. Yeah. He's like a less careful Hagrid. Yeah. And Hagrid went to Azkaban for (laughs) just being suspected of releasing creatures into Hogwarts. So I don't really understand the logic of this. But anyway, moving on, uh, one of the other tidbits that we get from this trailer is the fact that muggles in New York, in this different or unique magical community, are referred to as nomadges. G-T-F-O. Yeah, no. we talked about this a little bit. We've discussed this. Episode. And my vitriol for it has only grown... <laughs> I'm all out. No, I just don't like it. Uh, next note, is John Voight in this? Maybe. Or a John Voight lookalike? I just saw him and it, it took me out of the trailer for a second because I was like, what? I was not expecting him to be in it. So he might be in it. And if he is, I'm excited. My next note, uh, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne is cute. Okay. I am. <laughs> I take terrible notes. Uh, All right. Lastly, all I'm getting is that Colin will walk and stare passively at a lot of things in this movie. I don't know who his character is. 
Yes, that's the thing about this trailer. It doesn't tell you much about the plot. It's more of one of those trailers that just says, look who is in this movie. Yeah, and get hyped because the last line in this trailer is this little dumpy man that's kind of like the Watson to uh, Newt Scamander, Eddie Redmayne's uh, Sherlock. Sherlock. Is just kind of clapping his hands like a little dummy. <laughs> so mean. <laughs> he's just clapping his hands and he's like, I want to be a wizard. Oh, God. I, I hope this isn't the British interpretation of what Americans are like. Yeah, it feels like this weird hall of mirrors where it's. Brits looking at America, looking at Americans, and Americans looking like total idiots that are just left out of the whole cool wizarding community. I mean, I hope that's not it, but it is... I feel like half the magic growing up of Harry Potter was the fact that it did take place in this kind of cool... British landscape and it was fun that they all had accents and now that it's in New York it just kind of feels like less special. It reminded me of the episodes of Doctor Who that take place in the US. Yeah where I'm just like I'm not about that. Yeah they don't feel as authentic somehow. We did talk about how the the term nomad is incredibly offensive. For me, one of the more offensive things about this movie is the fact that it's going to be a trilogy. Ugh, yeah, I remember when you texted me about this. So this is the first movie, and there are going to be two sequels after it, which is I, so annoying. I'm more okay with this than I was about The Hobbit, which is the last famous disastrous trilogy, because... They are creating this plot from scratch, and they have the room to grow it out into however many installments they want it to be, but I guess I wasn't aware of this from the beginning, so the fact that it felt like it was going to be one movie and then it got dragged out, that was what I was against. If it were, <laughs> if it were planned as a trilogy from the beginning, and it's just my fault for not having researched it and I didn't know... Then, okay, it gets a pass. But if they're stretching it out, I'm just kind of like, I don't even know if I want to see three movies of this. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for us to judge without having seen the first one. And at this point, we don't even really know what it's about, apart from Creatures Get Loose. So yeah. <laughs> maybe we should reserve our judgment just That's a true. little longer. Because, this... I mean, did you answer the question? Are you probably going to watch it? Oh, or not? of course. I think the bigger question for me is am I going to watch it midnight? And then there I'm like, mm, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those walk, don't run. Yeah. To the movie theaters. Yeah. Speaking of midnights, though, something I did commit to going to a midnight release for was another big Harry Potter release. Harry yeah. Do we want to talk about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? think we already are <laughs> all right so as anyone that's been following the news or been out in public recently probably knows this book came out a couple weeks ago it's been smashing book sales records for uh i think uh, for printed plays this is um a little background this is essentially a printed script or a printed rehearsal script 
for a play in London. So there's been a little bit of controversy surrounding this. I'm yeah, trying, I mean, I'm trying not think... to give too much away, but it's been a very polarizing book. Yeah, I'll and I think one of the biggest controversies is, is this a sequel? Yes. Because J.K. Rowling is pretty adamant in the fact that it isn't. Right, but it has been branded. If you look at the copy of Cursed Child that I've lent you and I'm eagerly awaiting for you to get through, I I finished a couple, uh, I finished last week. It does say the eighth Harry Potter story, but it's, it doesn't name it as a sequel. So, man, it's one of those books where the premise is so outlandish that giving even one iota of plot content to you will launch so many other questions that it's just not even worth getting into. I think this definitely merits its own episode once we've both read it and want to record an, a spoiler-heavy episode for people that aren't willing to just read the book. Okay, well, I'm excited to read it, but I do have three questions that I... I mean, these are just burning questions L- that I have to ask. Lay it on me. Okay, so J.K. Rowling made a big to-do about the seventh Harry Potter book being the last and that there would be no more sequels. Was it worth her sharing this story? No. We should also okay. we should also mention she was not sharing she did not write this story. Uh, this she essentially I think I don't even know what their process was, to be honest. I know she's aware of what the story was, but once you read it, I think you'll even be doubtful of that. So I had the impression she was a co-author. Her name is on the book. I think she came up with the story, but she did not play any role in writing it, I don't think. Huh. So number two, was it worth sharing this story in a play format? No, not if she was not going to write it, because I was uh, talking with some friends about this last week. One of J.K. Rowling's strengths is dialogue. So if she were to have written this as a play, which is essentially just dialogue and very minimal stage directions, I think it, it could have been really cool. But the fact that it was a really strange fan fiction adjacent story written by other people as a play, it just, no, it, it wasn't great. And I think as we've mentioned off, off the air about it being a play format, it just puts up a lot of barriers in the sense that A, you can't, no one can fly out to London and watch this thing. And B, even while you're reading it, it's just, it's not as immersive as a novel format would have been. So Hmm. I'm just, I'm out on her sharing this story. I'm out on the format of the story. I mean... So, at the end of the day, is it worth it for Harry Potter fans to read this story? Um, I've met a lot of people that are flat out refusing to read it. But having read it, I'm glad I did. Because whether we like it or not, this book is and will continue to be part of the Harry Potter conversation. It's kind of how people describe, uh, for Gilmore Girls fans, uh, season seven of the Gilmore Girls. Hmm. You can close your eyes, you can refuse to watch it, but the fact remains that that season is a part of that show. 
And I kind of feel the same way with Harry Potter, where, it, yeah, it it happened, it's out there in the world, and as a responsible fan, I at least felt like I needed to read the story. There are probably thousands of millions of things that I could have read that would have been more edifying, but it's kind of like the movies, too. They're not great cinematic works, but I I do like being in that world for even a little, even though this one, it kind of felt like a really terrible distortion of the world, especially with certain characters. We'll talk about it once you've read it, but I would say, despite my saying I'm totally out on this, uh, I'm invested in Harry Potter as a franchise or story enough to say that, yeah, like, I think fans should read it and uh, not just trust the hate that has been out online. I mean, it's okay to to dislike this book, but I think that your opinions should be founded on having read it. And mm-hmm. I will also add that I thought the second half was better than the first it there was kind of a learning curve almost like you have to get used to kind of felt like you had to get used to seeing this person you love or this thing that you love really mangled but uh you get used to it and then you kind of settle into it and then it's less jarring I think wow that sounds like a very pained review but it was really helpful and I'm actually a little bit more excited to read it now that I've heard your thoughts. So we'll definitely record an episode about just this book or this play. Super excited. So let's circle things back to Comic-Con and wrap things up with some overall impressions. All right. So what were your major takeaways from some of what you saw at Comic-Con this year, even though we didn't get into Hall Age, from the coverage, (laughs) everything afterwards? Is there anything you're really excited about? Um, I hate to sound like a downer, but none of the movies seemed particularly unique or exciting, especially in terms of the DC Universe movies we mentioned, like Justice League, which all felt like they're more of the same and won't be bringing anything new to the genre. I mean, overall, they just feel like weak reactions to the excitement Marvel has been able to create with their films. And Mm. speaking of which... I will say that of all the movie news that was made public during Comic-Con, I was most excited about three Marvel movies that are scheduled to be released over the course of the next few years. And I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me on these. Cool. So the first one, we've mentioned it before, is Black Panther. Ooh, I think I know what you're going to talk about, yes. (laughs) So additional cast members were confirmed for this movie, including Michael B. Jordan, who will be playing the villain Eric Killmonger. We also found out that Lupita Nyong'o and Denai Guerrera from The Walking Dead are going to be in this film as well. It isn't coming out until 2018, but I am so excited about this cast. Obviously, this is going to be the first superhero movie with a black lead. And after a tumultuous year where production studios were struggling with the issue of minority representation, 
There are reports saying that this movie is going to feature a cast that is 90% African or African-American. And on top of all that, Ryan Coogler is directing it and his enthusiasm toward it as a comic book fan makes me so confident that this is going to be great. I am so excited that he's directing it. Yes, I'm so excited by everything you just said. And he, I think... A trend that we've seen with a lot of these big franchise movies is that they do take these really young, sometimes more artsy directors and just slap them into the franchise kind of legacy and make them the studio's little poster children. Little poster children. I feel like Ryan Cooler can resist all that and will continue making really cool Creed-esque movies. I mean, he made Creed. That's a big franchise <laughs> movie, too. I, I do feel like he, his vision is really strong and it will definitely come through in this. So the fact that they are making, the, not only is the cast going to be overwhelmingly African-American, the fact that it's directed by a really great direct, African-American director is really exciting. Yeah, no, and I think I saw when I was watching the recaps of the Black Panther panel, Ryan Coogler himself was talking about all the times that he would come to Comic-Con as a fan, as a comic book fan Mm -hmm. himself. So the fact that you have a person who is genuinely excited about the content is really neat as well. I want this movie to do well so badly. (laughs) This is the one we're rooting for. I'm rooting for this so hard. Another movie... Another Marvel movie that's coming out is Spider-Man Homecoming. We found out that this new version of Spider-Man is going to be essentially a high school version of a superhero movie, relying heavily on the comic's comedic undertones. And compared to how dark and dreary a lot of superhero movies have been lately, I'm thinking this is going to be a breath of fresh air. Yeah, especially if Homecoming is referring to a a dance (laughs) i know (laughs) we did talk about spider-man's appearance in the avengers movie the civil war captain america movie yes a very Um, useful tom holland and we did love tom holland's performance Mm -hmm. so that makes me definitely more excited to see this i'm excited i'm definitely watching this and then finally, the last movie is, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We really loved the first movie, which came out in 2015, I think. And I'm just excited to see the return of these characters. Also, did you hear they're creating a Guardians of the Galaxy ride at the California Adventure theme park? Yeah. It's actually going to be replacing the Hollywood Tower of Terror ride, which... It's one of my favorites, so I'm a little bummed about that, but it's going to be called uh, Mission Breakout, and I think it takes place in the collector's sort of weird tower mansion thing, so it it should be cool. I'm definitely, at the most basic level, just excited to see Guardians of the Galaxy love out there, because it it's not one of these huge franchise superhero movies. It's one that kind of treats everything with a lot more levity and humor. And I'm just excited to see that getting the support of, an, I mean, a ride, which the other movies definitely haven't gotten. So yeah, cool. it should be great. Yeah. Do we want to transition into our signal boost and wrap up this very long episode? 
Sure, let's do it. This week, I'm going to signal boost a show that's actually been around for a while, Jane the Virgin. I love it, yeah. So I've been watching this show for the first time recently, and I've really enjoyed it. In it, Gina Rodriguez plays the titular Jane, who is accidentally artificially inseminated, thus triggering a chain reaction of crazy events that involves telenovela stars and plenty of love triangles. It sounds ridiculous, and it totally is, but I think that's one of the most charming aspects of the show. And I just love how much it embraces its own ridiculousness and whimsy. I'm not going to call it a guilty pleasure because I actually think it's received quite a bit of critical acclaim. But regardless, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I have. Gina Rodriguez is extremely charming and likable in this. And each episode ends with a cliffhanger. So it's really easy to get caught up in the drama of it all. So, yeah. I give a signal boost to season one of Jane the Virgin. It's on Netflix, and people should check it out if they're in the mood for something light and fun. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think this is one of the, this feels like one of the only shows that has a genuine love triangle where it's not like one character, one of the guys is totally vilified and the other one is the obvious white knight. They kind of, there's a good back and forth. Yeah, as a viewer, you're not even sure which one you like more. Yeah, same. I mean, in terms of the men in Jane's life, yes, it's it's a great show, and she's a good, strong role model. I like her. Uh, speaking of strong ladies, what I'm going to signal boost this week is the Hamilton audiobook. Uh, I say strong ladies because of the presence of the Schuyler sisters, naturally. But um, yeah, I mean, we did an entire episode on the Hamilton musical, which is based on the book, the the Hamilton biography written by Ron Chernow. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Carla and I both have copies of the Hamilton book. I can't find mine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, oh my god so, uh, I'd say that very guiltily so I uh, found the audiobook uh, available on an app from my local library and I have been listening to that on my way to work at work, on my way back from work it's 10 CDs long or 10 tracks long oh my god Many, many hours. I'm sure that I haven't caught quite everything that you're catching reading the physical book, but it has been such a gripping listen, and it feels like just a really fun historical podcast. Though It's amazing. I mean, you mentioned I'm reading the physical copy of the book, the one that isn't lost, I guess. (laughs) And it's amazing to read as a fan of the Hamilton musical because it makes you appreciate the work of Lin-Manuel Miranda so much more. Yes. Um, it's really easy to to see where he pulled inspiration from because words from the, the actual songs in the musical, some of the lines are pulled directly from quotes in this book. Yes. And every time I come across one of those, I get goosebumps. Yeah, it feels... 
simultaneously super impressive that it's that he's remaining true to the source text. I mean, he takes liberties, artistic liberties in some spots, but also half the time I see him lifting words from the book, I just think that yeah. really seeing how creative he was with his interpretation. As you said, I just I've my respect and esteem for him has grown so much in realizing that there are he made songs out of a few words in some cases yeah. where and you have to give credit to Ron Chernow as well. He he wrote a biography that is really easy to read and it's it's gripping like a piece of historical fiction would be. I mean yeah. the one thing that has surprised me the most is the craziest parts of Hamilton's life are actually crazier if you read the historical facts behind so much of what happened. So things yeah. like the the connection between Aaron Burr's wife, Theodosia, and Benedict Arnold, like the connections between yeah. historical figures just blow my mind. Yeah, realizing what a small world it was. It exactly. has been so fun and, and getting to really dive deep. So if you're a fan of Hamilton the musical, I definitely recommend either the book, Don't Lose It, or the audiobook, which is, I'd say, I've been enjoying it as a as an alternate option. Uh, all right. Well, I think that wraps up this episode of Screensaver. Any last thoughts? No, I think we rambled on enough. <laughs> okay. Well, if you have any thoughts or rambling on Comic-Con that you'd like to share with us, or on our signal boosts on Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, anything, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us by following us on Twitter at ScreensaverPod, or by liking our Facebook page, Screensaver Podcast. As always, you can find other episodes of Screensaver on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.